At the end of the last message in the book of James, we looked at the idea of anointing someone with oil in the name of the Lord, and we talked about the prayer of faith. And we'll continue with that a little bit more, but we're going to get into the idea of divine healing. How can we be healed? And we're also going to talk about those who wander from the faith, wanderers. James will leave us with a charge of how to go after and turn wanderers back to the truth. Man, we need this divine prescription for healing, and we'll find out more today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. James 5 verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. We talked about if you're suffering, we use some S words. Suffering. If you are smiling, so if you're suffering, pray. If you're smiling, sing praises. Is anyone, third S word, among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, that's our, less, our last S word, sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, in light of this verse, in light of this truth, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah, our example, illustration, was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, James is going to end with a charge. If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. May the Lord write his word on our hearts. Now, last time we were together, we moved rather slowly and we ended in verse 15 when we talked about the prayer offered in faith. We talked about how if someone is sick, they're to call for the leadership of the church. Notice a plurality of elders, verse 14. Uh, the, the local church, plurality of elders and leadership, they are to pray over that individual, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord or in the name of the sovereign God of the universe. We could say even say in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, and that is an important point here, because sin may be at the heart of the issue, they will be forgiven him. Now, we talked about how James certainly sounds like he's made a categorical statement here. And we asked the question, is, is there a guarantee of healing in this passage? And my answer is, there's a guarantee of healing in the way that God wants to heal you. Sometimes sickness becomes a vehicle for introspection. Sometimes sickness, whether it could be a physical malady or even depression and that kind of thing, can be a chance for deep introspection. And there are cases to be made in the New Testament where people end up sick because of sin. 
Now, one of the cases is in John chapter 5, and this is what hit me this week, in fact, in the last uh, 24 hours. I was thinking about the man at the pool of Bethesda, and he had been sick in the condition for 38 years. It was a feast of the Jews. Some believe it was Passover. Jesus shows up at the pool of Bethesda. By the way, that pool has been discovered. If you go on a trip to Israel, you'll be able to see the pool, which is way under ground level now. And the church of St. Anne's has been built at this location. And Jesus was at the pool and he, he saw this guy. Jesus initiates it. There's all these sick people. And he says to this man, do you want to be made well? And interestingly enough, Bethesda actually means the house of outpouring, or get this, the house of mercy and grace. And when Jesus, after Jesus heals the man, he says to him, go and sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. This is one of the cases where scholars believe that the sickness was due to sin. This man had caused his own problem, if you will, and he was delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. There are other cases, in fact, later in the book of John, where the disciples asked, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was uh, born blind? And Jesus debunks the idea that all sin is the result of, uh, all, all sickness is the result of sin when he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this has happened that the glory of God may be manifest in this man. You could reference John 5, 1 through 18 for the first case, John 9 is the second case of the man born blind. And so there's, we can't be emphatic, we can't make dogmatic statements on the cause of why someone is in the situation they are in. And we must be careful as we look on to other situations that we don't become the judge and the jury as to why someone's in the situation that they are in. Look, we live in a fallen world. And if the pool of Bethesda says anything, it says that there are a bunch of people who are just in fallen situations, sickness, you know, paralyzed, blindness, you name it, because we live in a fallen world. This world is not what it was supposed to be. And so Jesus, when he comes on the scene and touches a life, he raises them up in every respect. Keep in mind that of all the people that Jesus physically healed, Many, many people that he touched in his earthly ministry, they were all going to die again. That, that uh, healing, if you will, was for a season. You could say it was for a time span. Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, would have to die a second time. So that's kind of the bummer about the story of Lazarus, right? Is that he'd have to die a second time. So we as people, sometimes we think in the immediate, the short term, I want the fix now. And when I'm hurting and suffering, when my body's out of whack, when I'm suffering with some sickness or malady, many of you have been dealing with things for a long, long time. I do want an immediate fix. I admit it. When I pray to God, I say, can you take this away and can you do it now? But God is sovereign. And the prayer of faith is object-oriented. Enough of this nonsense about faith in our faith, or you just have to have the right formula. You know, that, that's nonsense. It is faith in God and ultimately in the sovereignty of God. Faith is a word for trust. If you're going to pray the prayer of faith, it's a synonym for trust. It's the prayer of trust. 
When you are praying, you're saying, Lord, I trust you in this situation. This person is going to be specially set apart with the oil being a symbol of the Holy Spirit, a symbol of you operating, setting them aside for your divine operations. But ultimately, if they're healed, it's going to be because you heal them. Not the oil, not my faith. If they're healed, it's going to be because God heals them. Amen? Amen. So we have to be very careful when we come to these kinds of situations. Now, I do want to show you something I touched on last time. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's exploring this idea of what the prayer of faith is. Let's, let's turn there. And, and I mentioned to you as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that I believe the prayer of faith is simply this. I believe that God will give faith in the moment, extra faith, faith that that person can be healed, going with a gift of healing that the Lord gives in the moment. But I do believe that that's going to be in the moment. I'm not sure, and you can, we can debate this later. I'm not sure that anybody's walking around with the gift of healing. That is, I don't know that anybody can walk around and heal anybody at any time they want to. And if they have that gift, then I don't know why they're not at chalk right now. I don't know why you got to put on a white suit and have a crusade if you have the gift of healing, just go to all the hospitals and everybody you touch should be healed. We don't need the music. We don't need the, the big production. We need you to go and touch many, many, many sick people. Amen? Amen? So here's the thing. We need to make sure we understand that theologically, ultimately, God is in charge. I think of Daniel when Daniel and his, uh, his uh, actually, this is his three friends, they said, we believe our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. We believe he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, that's faith. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to your statue, Nebuchadnezzar. That's faith. Now, here's the passage I wanted to show you. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one, this is in the body of Christ, is given, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it's a gift, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives this. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, notice, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Notice that faith and healing are both in verse 9. To one, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the, the distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues, and to another in the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, just mentioned in these verses, distributing to each one individually just as what? As He wills. Ultimately, the gifts of the Spirit are under the sovereign canopy of God's grace, and He distributes them as He wills. The Apostle Paul, would you say he had a good relationship with Jesus? Yeah. But Paul prayed three times that a thorn in his flesh would be removed and he was told, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So Paul said, I'm going to rejoice in my uh, weaknesses, in my infirmities. And Paul said the reason for the thorn was to keep him humble. I'll say this. I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea that if there's a thorn in my flesh to keep me humble. But the reality is, biblically, God does do that. That's within the... Uh, ideas of the scriptures that we have to see that the Lord can use these kinds of shortcomings to keep us leaning on him. And then I want to share a story with you because I think this is relevant as well as you turn back to James. There's a story about 
uh, a gentleman who says, I was in a church in Oregon not too long ago, and I prayed for a man, this is a pastor talking, who had cancer. In the middle of the week, I got a telephone call from his wife. She said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. And I said, had? And I was thinking, whoa. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news, thetruthacademy.com, to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. In the middle of the week, I got a telephone call from his wife. She said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. And I said, had? And I was thinking, whoa, something good's happened here. And she said, he died. He said, I felt terrible. She continued, don't feel bad. When he came into church, into that church last Sunday, he was filled with anger. He, know, he knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old, and he wanted to see his children, grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger towards God grew, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. After you prayed for him, a peace came over him and a joy had come into him. She says, Pastor, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we prayed. Oh, they've been wonderful days. And I call to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. And then she said something incredibly profound we need to hear. She said, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. And death, you know, is the ultimate healing for the Christian, right? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. We are actually going to be healed of all these besetting maladies of this fallen world when we die. And of course, in the resurrection, when we get this new body and in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. These are things we must factor in as we look at uh, verses like this. Do you, do you want to be made well? There are some people who, you know, in their given situation, they don't want to follow the divine prescription for healing. Maybe you are in that boat this morning. Maybe you've been fighting God in different ways and God's trying to get your attention. There is a divine prescription for healing. And here's, a, a, therefore, a connecting word in verse 16. Therefore, in light of what James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Would you notice, Bible students, that how can you do these kinds of one another commands unless you're in community? This is very communal. This is very body of Christ, body life oriented. How can you, 
fulfill what we just read in James 5.16 unless you are with other Christians. How can you pray for one another? How can you confess to one another so that you may be healed unless you're in a community or a local church of saints? And so here's the idea of confession. What does it mean to confess sin? It means to acknowledge. It means to agree fully. It means to say the same thing. That's the idea of the word. To agree with God about your sin and to confess it. Confession really goes with repentance. How can you really repent of a sin unless you've confessed it to God? And so I want to give you some guidelines here and I want to tell you that this is body life. This is not you going to a priest to confess and get absolution. I don't see that in this passage. This is to one another. This is a community of believers. You could envision a small group. You could envision a group of friends that you have that are Christians. And you open up to someone. And I would say to you, if you confess to someone, just make sure it's someone that you trust. And make sure it's someone that doesn't struggle with gossip. Amen? Some guidelines. The area of commission of sin should be the area of confession. If you're a note taker, the area of commission should be the area of confession. If you sinned against somebody, that's the person you should go and confess that sin to. You should go to them. There are certain sins that maybe you just have to do some business with God like David did after his sin with Bathsheba. He had some other fixing to do, but he confessed his sin to God. He said, against you and you alone have I sinned. Your sin and my sin is first of all vertical, but it is also horizontal. I need to confess to God, and then it's in the area of commission. Number two, if you're going to confess your sin, make sure you test your motives. Choose carefully. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And if you do confess it to someone, make sure that there's an agreement that you're going to leave it there. I would also say keep short accounts with God. Leave sin behind and understand that what it is and get to a point where you loathe it, you you are tired of confessing the same sin. <laughs> Another point. Don't confess sin just to get attention for yourself. Don't go before a group of people and say, yeah, I can top that. My life is such a shambles. You won't believe what I did this week. Right? Sometimes there's an unhealthy situation where someone wants to throw out all their dirty laundry to be the center of attention. Please don't do that. Make sure that if you're going to confess sin, it's because there's something that you're truly wrestling with and you need others to come alongside you. There are people who have an unhealthy obsession with attention and sharing the details of their sin. Uh, R. Kent Hughes calls it a perverted moral pleasure in airing one's dirty laundry. It's not healthy. And it's unhealthy both ways. It's unhealthy for the person airing their dirty laundry and it's unhealthy for the person listening especially if one gets overly morbid about their confession with getting into the details. Oh, tell me more. It can, it can actually turn into a sinful thing. We've got to be careful. I also would warn you against hyper-introspection. You know, there are times in life when you just have to cut yourself a break and realize you're a person who's still struggling with the world, the flesh, and the devil, just like all of us. Amen? Amen. If you are nitpicking yourself to death, would you stop? Would you allow yourself to receive the same grace that you preach to others? It's hard, isn't it? 
Because sometimes we preach it to others, but then we expect perfection from ourselves. You're not going to be perfect. Your life, your Christian life is not about perfection, but it is about direction. It's about the overarching theme of your life. Not that you're not going to stumble from time to time. And please make sure that you avoid spiritual aggression or passive aggressiveness. Don't go to a person and say, I'd like to confess a bunch of bad thoughts that I've been having about you in the last couple of years. (laughs) I need to get this off my chest. Please don't tell me all the bad thoughts that you've had about me in the last couple of years. I really don't want to (laughs) know. Now, I would say confess those to God and leave them there and then just stop. I think that would be a good thing. Don't make confession about a religious routine. Don't make it about, oh, my system of belief says I've got to do this to be right with God, so I'm just going to go ahead and I'll, I'll circle through the carousel and confess whatever I can think of so that I can do my routine so I can be right with God because that's something that they said you got to do. No. Confession comes from the heart. It's a heartfelt, Lord, I've sinned against you. I don't want to do this. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. What does confession do? It purifies, it restores, it removes the hindrances to pure fellowship. Confession and repentance go together. Confession leads to healing. There's a mutual confession here to one another, not to an elite priesthood. And the result is so that, look at the verse, so that you may be healed. You confess so that you may be healed. Confession, we often joke, is good for the soul, but it actually is. Because when you make things right with an individual that you've sinned against, or especially with God, there's a healing that takes place. There's an honesty, a transparency that leads to healing. Remember, there's one God. And one mediator between God and man, that is the man Christ Jesus. And when you confess sin, you go to our high priest who can sympathize and empathize with your weaknesses. Do you know that about Jesus? He actually can sympathize and empathize with your weaknesses because he was in all points tested as we, yet without sin. But he still has compassion for us. He knew Peter was going to fall. And he said, Peter, when you've turned again, Encourage your brethren. He, he knows what we face. He knows the sins that so easily entangle us. And he tells us, run this race. Break the chains. Keep your eyes on me. I love you. I've never stopped loving you. There's a range of healing that takes place because the issue here is sin in verse 16. And so the issue could be spiritual healing, emotional healing. It's a broad range which could include, of course, physical healing, which we saw in verse 15. When this is done right, when it is spirit-directed, it can become a fuel for revival, personal revival and church revival. When we get sin out into the light where it loses power, sin has its greatest power when we keep it in the dark, when we hide it, but when we put it into the light, sin loses its power, but it's hard to put it into the light. Because we don't want anybody to know. But when we confess it, sometimes here's what happens. It comes into the light and all of a sudden it doesn't look so powerful anymore or so overwhelming. 
One writer says, such confession was at the heart of a small group meeting which fueled the Methodist movement. Indeed, confession has been at the heart of periodic revivals which have graced the American church since New England's Great Awakening. And so we have this idea of confessing sin. And then notice at the end of 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, Elijah's going to be the example, but remember, Elijah had a like nature as ours. Sometimes we feel, man, I'm not the person to pray in this situation because I don't have the goods. I'm not a super saint. Does it take a super saint to have an effective prayer? No. All it takes is a righteous person, a person who's trying to live right, a person who's in communion with God, has the power of prayer behind them because behind prayer is the power of God. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California Or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.